Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Let your light shine. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So let your light shine and keep being salty for Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, we've been in John chapter 1 through 17. And in John chapter 1 through 17, Jesus talks about the plan of redemption. But in John chapter 18 we, through verse uh, chapter 21, we begin to see the picture of redemption. And in John 18, we see the betrayal of Jesus, the denial of Jesus, and the trial of Jesus. And you know what? Some of the most difficult things that you can deal with as a believer are when somebody betrays you. You know what? I have had people betray me. I have had people that I have invested my life in, and they have betrayed me. They've, you know, it's a tragedy when we see this happen. Another one is denial. You know, Jesus knew not only Peter was going to deny him, he knew that all of his disciples were going to deny him. Now, in denying him, I don't believe they lost their faith. They were just in the heat of the moment. They were dealing with a lot of fear. And sometimes people are dealing with a lot of fear or a lot of challenges, and they may react in a negative way. That doesn't mean that they have rejected Jesus. That doesn't mean that they have lost their salvation. Praise God. But Peter denied Jesus. But Jesus said, they'll all be offended because of me. But in John chapter 18, I want you to see when Jesus deals with betrayal, when he deals with denial, and when he deals with this false trial, ultimately Jesus deals with this in complete grace. And it's just amazing for me to see his grace really uh, revealed in these scriptures as we go through this. You know, John chapter 1 verse 16 says this, of his fullness we have all received grace for grace or grace upon grace. And Jesus is the embodiment of grace. And he demonstrates this grace. And so I'm going to try to show you a little bit of that as we go through here. I want to begin with this verse in verse 11. Then Jesus said to Peter, put up your sword in your sheath. The cup which my father has given me shall not, shall I not drink it. Redemption was the father's plan. Jesus going to the cross was the Father's plan. Jesus going to the cross was not the work of the devil. It was not the work of religious people. It was the work of God the Father. And Jesus willingly gave his life. If he didn't willingly give his life, they could not have taken him. You know, I think it's in Matthew where Jesus said, don't you think I could call 12 legions of angels? And there's one angel killed like thousands of men in the Old Testament. Twelve legions, 12,000 in a legion. And more, he said. I could have called 144,000 angels plus and we could have taken care of this. No problem. Amen. But Jesus did this. It was the plan of the Father. He says, and I'm, I'm here to do what my Father sent me. He had already been to the Garden of Gethsemane. He had already prayed. He had already completely submitted himself to the will and the plan of God. I actually believe when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan by John, he knew this was coming. And he was identifying with us as humanity. And God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus had read the Scriptures. He had studied the Scriptures. I believe he knew who he was. He knew where he was going. He knew what he was going to do. And really, he said, this is really the plan and the purpose of God. 
You know, sometimes people look at the cross and say, oh, this is the devil, or they look at the cross and, oh, this is the work of religious people. No, the cross is the work of God. It was God laying on him the iniquity of us all. It was God laying on Jesus our sin, our anxiety, our sickness, our poverty. But Jesus willingly went there and willingly gave his life. Amen? So that you and I could go free. Amen? So let's begin here in John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook of Cedron, where the garden into which he entered, and his disciples. Judas also, who betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted there with his disciples. And Judas, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said, Who do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And Judas also, who betrayed him, stood with them. As soon as he said that unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Who was in control of this situation? Jesus was in absolute control of this situation. He, he is in this situation in total grace, in total peace. They asked him again, whom do you see? And, and, and they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I have told you that I am he. If you therefore seek me, let these go their way. Now Jesus had spent the last three years plus really investing his life. Primarily in the, in the 12, but then the 70 and 120 and 500. Jesus was investing his life in people. And he didn't want to lose this investment because he knew he was going, but they were going to continue the work. Praise God. And the Holy Spirit was going to come. In fact, the scripture says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. If the princes of this world would have known what was going to happen when they crucified the Lord of glory, they never would have done it. Because when Jesus was on the earth, they were dealing with one person that was full of the Holy Spirit, operating in authority, operating in dominion. But after Jesus rose from the dead and sent the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, there were 3,120 people full of the Holy Spirit, full of God, going forth in their authority. Praise God. So Jesus didn't want to lose what he had worked for. So he willingly went with him. Then Simon Peter, having this sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. You know, he wasn't aiming for his ear. He was aiming for his head. And this is a challenging time for the disciples because they believe that Jesus is the king of the Jews. They believe that Jesus came to set up his kingdom on the earth. And there's been a question for years in the church. Is the kingdom of God a spiritual kingdom or is the kingdom of God a physical kingdom? And the answer is yes. It's a spiritual kingdom of believers on the earth today, but it's a physical kingdom to come. Jesus Christ is going to come. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He came the first time as a lamb. He willingly gave himself, but he's coming again as a lion. He's coming to judge and make war. He's going to set up a physical kingdom on this earth, and he's going to reign for a thousand years of peace on the earth, and then he's going to deliver up the kingdom to God and his Father. We're going to reign with him. It's going to be a marvelous time. But it wasn't that time yet. And so uh, Peter, you know, was trying to cut off this servant of the high priest's head. And the guy ducked. And he got his ear. But Jesus, you know, it says, 
the servant's name was Malchus. In Luke 22, verse 50 and verse 51, Jesus touched his ear and healed him. Praise God. Jesus ministered grace to this situation. He ministered grace. He ministered healing to his enemies. Then said Jesus to Peter, put up your sword in the sheath. The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? So this was ultimately Jesus was giving himself, and this was the plan of the Father. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 17 and verse 18, No man takes my life from me. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up. Amen? Redemption is the plan and the purpose of God. Isaiah prophesied about it. In Isaiah chapter 53, he prophesied about the cross. We'll read verse 3 through verse 6. He prophesies this about six to seven hundred years before Christ. In Isaiah 53, he sees Jesus on the cross. And he says in verse 3, he's despised and rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our griefs. He's carried that word for, for griefs. It's freely translated in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and verse 17 as sicknesses. He carried our sorrows, our pains. Yet we did esteem him. See this stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Again, the cross was not the work of religious people. It was not the work of the devil. It was ultimately the work of God. And Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for you and I. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord, God the Father, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The cross is called the great exchange. Jesus took our sin, and he gave us righteousness. Jesus took our anxiety, and Jesus gave us peace. Jesus took our sickness, and Jesus gave us health. Praise God in healing. Not only that, but if you read 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, you understand that Jesus took your poverty and gave you wealth. Praise God. Those four things, Jesus took them. He paid for them. He took them so you don't have to take them. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us, past tense, hath past tense, redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14 says that, or so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus was cursed so that we can be blessed. Jesus became a curse. Amen. And because of that, he made the blessing available to us. Amen? Because, because Jesus took the curse for us, we don't have to take it. But the cross was ultimately the work of God. And it was God bringing our salvation. First of all, we see betrayal. Jesus deals with this betrayal in ultimate grace, ultimate peace. Then we see the denial of Jesus in verse 12 through verse 27. Then the band and captain of officers 
of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, who was the high priest that same year. And Caiaphas was he who gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Religious people were playing into the hands of God. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. That disciple was known to the high priest and went in with Jesus to the palace of the high priest. Peter stood at the door without. Then went out the other disciple, which was known to the high priest, and spoke to her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Then the damsel that kept the door said unto Peter, Aren't you one of the, the, this man's disciples? And he said, I'm not. And the disciples and officers stood there who made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. You know, sin, when it comes, sin's deceitful. And it starts a little bit, you know, Peter started just by following a little bit far off and just staying out, just distancing himself a little bit. And that's how it starts. People just begin to distance himself a little bit, and then they distance more, and then they, you know, they, they go farther. Somebody said this, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Sin is expensive any way you cut it. The wages of sin is death. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world, and I was always teaching in the synagogue and in the temple where the Jews are always resorting in secret. I've said nothing. Why are you asking me? Ask those who heard me what I've said to them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answer the high priest so. And Jesus said, If I've spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why are you smiting me? And Anus had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. Then Peter stood and warned himself. They said, therefore, to him, Aren't you one of the disciples? And he, he denied and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest being his family member, the family member of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, didn't I see you in the garden? Now, when you think about this, like I said, sin subtle. But, but you have to guard, right, your heart. You, you, there's some places you don't want to go. There's some things you don't want to do. You know, I'm not trying to see how close to hell. I don't think Peter even had this in his mind. I think this was merely a fear thing. I don't think Peter ever rejected Jesus. In my opinion, he had never been born again at this point. He was a believer. He was a disciple. He was a follower. But I don't believe anyone was born again until, you know, John 20, after Jesus was raised from the dead. And after Jesus was raised from the dead, he came back to the disciples. When he appeared to them, he said, as my father sent me, so send I you. And he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. I believe that's when they were born again. And then 50 days after his resurrection on the day of Pentecost, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But thinking about, you know, sin and, you know, guarding against it here in Hebrews 3 verse 13, it says, exhort one another Daily, while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. 
While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the provocation. You know, the Bible actually talks about this also in Colossians. The problem with hardening your heart, if you begin to harden your heart, you know what? It'll get harder and harder. The Bible actually talks about our consciences. There's those who have their conscience seared. And there's two aspects of the conscience. You can have a religious conscience that's condemning, right? Everything, little thing you do wrong, it condemns you even probably when you're not in sin. You can also have a conscience that's hardened. And you know, the Bible actually says, he who constantly hardens his neck being often reproved will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. I think we need to have a good, clean conscience. Right? And we need to keep a pure conscience before God. Paul said, I've exercised myself to have a conscience that's void of offense toward God and men. Now, in Colossians chapter 1, I also want to read this, talking about continuing to believe. But in Colossians chapter 1, we'll read verse 21 to verse 23. It actually says this, you who were sometimes alienated separated enemies in your mind by wicked works has he now reconciled has he now restored the right relationship in the body of his flesh through death to present you wholly unblameable and unreprovable in his sight this is how God sees you and this is how Jesus wants to present you to the father wholly unblameable and unreprovable in his sight there's only one thing you need to do just keep believing he says in verse 23, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So here we see that Peter denies Jesus. He doesn't deny him once, but he denies him three times. In fact, Jesus told him that he would deny him. In fact, he said not only will Peter deny him. He said they would all be offended because of him. And Peter was just the most outspoken one probably of the bunch. So Peter was the first that spoke up. And if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 26, I want to read that to you in Matthew 26 uh, verse 31 through verse 35. Then said Jesus to them, to all of his disciples, all of you will be offended because of me this night. For it's written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men be offended because of you, yet I will never be offended. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, Tonight before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said unto him, Though I die with you, yet I will not deny you. How amazing. How people can change. How fickle, you know. Just a week earlier, they had been waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Just a little bit after this, they're crying, crucify him, crucify him. Likewise, said all, all the disciples said, I'll never deny you. And yet Jesus said, you'll all be offended because of me. Yet Jesus, knowing they were going to deny him, knowing he was going to be betrayed, knowing he was going to be falsely accused. I want you to go with me to Luke chapter 22 in verse 31 to verse 34. And this is what he speaks. He speaks to Peter. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you. He's telling them, them this before it happens, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Did Peter lose his faith? 
He had a momentary question. He was caught in the heat of the moment, but I don't think he ever really lost his faith. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. He said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both into prison and to death. And he said, I'll tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day before you will three times deny that you know me. So Jesus, knowing what he's going to do, says, listen, I'm praying for you. How many of you are glad that Jesus is praying for you? Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says that he ever lives to make intercession for those of us who come to God by him. Praise God. I'm so glad that that's Jesus' new covenant ministry is he's seated at the right hand of God waiting till his enemies become his footstool. And Jesus is there praying for us. Amen. Now that ought to encourage you. You know, I know it encourages certain people when they know that they've got a brother, they've got a sister, they've got somebody standing with them. But how much better than that, that Jesus himself is interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. That is the good news. Amen? Now, after Jesus is raised from the dead, in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, that Mary goes there, and when she goes to the tomb to find him, he's already raised from the dead. And the angel speaks to her and says, go tell my disciples and Peter that I'm raised from the dead. I'm sure Jesus gave the angel instruction. Amen? Because he wanted Peter to know that, hey, there's grace. Hey, Peter, you're forgiven. Amen? I love you. Amen? I'm with you. Praise God. And Peter gets up. You know, just a few days later on the day of Pentecost and preaches a phenomenal message. The one who you crucified, God raised him from the dead and he has sent forth this that you now see in here. I mean, Peter goes forward with boldness and faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. And so Jesus ministers grace even before he sins. Praise God. Isn't that marvelous? And so Jesus is betrayed and he ministers grace to those who come to take him. And Jesus, the disciples deny him and yet Jesus ministers grace to them. Finally, he's tried. Let's read in, beginning in verse 28 on down through the end of the chapter. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the hall of judgment. It was early and they themselves went not into the judgment hall. Now, this is religion. Lest they would be defiled, but that they might eat the pass. So they didn't, they didn't want to go into the judgment hall because they still wanted to partake of Passover. They couldn't crucify him, but they could find somebody else who could. And so Pilate went out unto them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said unto him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. In other words, we wouldn't have brought him if he wasn't causing trouble. Then Pilate said unto them, take him and judge him according to your law. And the Jews said, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. So they couldn't do it, right? This is how the law, the law which was ordained to be life, Romans 7 says, I found to be death. Right? And, and what happened with the law is people skirted their way around it, right? And this is what they did. They were, get somebody else to do their dirty work. It's not lawful to put any, for us to put any man to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he sp spoke, signifying the death he would die. 
Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall and called Jesus and said unto him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, Do you say this of yourself or did others tell it to you? Pilate said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Now look at, this is a powerful scripture. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. You know, if our kingdom, if we're trying to get things done by earthly strength, earthly ability, in an earthly way, it's like when you see envying and jealousy and you see problems like that in the body of Christ. It's really a terrible thing. And Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. We don't have to fight. You know what? There are some battles that you don't need to get involved in. You don't have to go try to defend yourself. You can let God defend you. You know, when I first moved here to Colorado Springs, there were certain places I knew that God wanted me to eat. Certain things I knew that God wanted me to do. And I had people in power try to keep me out. It, it still happens today. Some people are so jealous they can't stand themselves. I mean, it is just pathetic how people in, you know, Christian organizations get a political mindset and, and, and begin to do, I, I mean, they do the craziest things. And I remember one, you know, I was part of a conference and I, I really wasn't slated to speak, but I had been, I went to every meeting. I was part of this group and doing certain things. And, and this one person was specifically just trying to keep me out. I knew he was an honorary person. And uh, he actually set me across from his desk one time at the Bible school and said, I don't know why anybody would come to Colorado Springs and start a church. And he was just terrible. Caused me so much grief in certain areas. And I looked right back across the desk at him and I said, I suppose because Jesus called him. Hallelujah. But, but anyway, I was in, involved in this one conference. I, and and um, anyway, I just went home and I prayed. And I told you, I prayed this scripture. I still pray this scripture. Job 23, verse 14. And I prayed that scripture. And somebody tell me what Job 23, say, 14 says. For he performs, Aaron's been listening good, the things appointed for me. And many such things are with him. And you know, I prayed that scripture. I prayed the scripture in Romans chapter 9, verse 11, that says the purpose of God according to election stands not according to him that wills, but according to him that calls. Amen, or him that works. It's not about our works. It's about his grace. But I prayed that scripture in Job 23, verse 14. I went to my house, and I just, I did not tell anybody one thing. I didn't tell Barbara, I didn't tell my kids, I didn't tell anybody, I just told Jesus. I said, Jesus, listen, if you want me to sit on the bench, I am happy to sit on the bench. But if you want me in the game, I want you to put me in the game. Praise God. And you know, I came all week and, and it was going to be the last day of the conference. And it was the Andrew Womack conference. And Andrew came the last day. He said, are you speaking? I said, no, they don't have me. He said, well, that's wrong. He said, you should be, you should be on there. You're going to take my place and you're going to speak in my place tomorrow. Now, how many of you know at Andrew Womack's conference, everybody comes to hear Andrew Womack. <laughs> and I still speak at that conference every year from that year to this. Praise God. And you know what? God put me in that place. 
And you know what? I see other people, they try to do certain things. In fact, there's been some of it gone recently. And we just laugh and we just rejoice because we look at what God's doing. We said, ultimately, this works out for our good. Amen. And we just thank God and we just trust God and we keep our eyes on Jesus. And guess what? God just keeps promoting us and things keep going forward. So you don't have to fight, right? You don't have to keep your place. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to defend yourself. Let God defend you. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I would not be delivered to Jesus. But now my kingdom's not from here. Jesus said, listen, guys, we don't have to fight. Peter, put up your sword. This is not our battle. If it was my battle, I would call my, I would ask my father and he'd send me 12 legion of angels and more and it'd be no problem. We would wipe this out, take it over right now. End of story, done, finished. But I'm going because this isn't my plan. This is the father's plan. He had already settled this in his heart. He had already been to the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't easy on his flesh. And sometimes to lay that down, it's not easy on your flesh. Sometimes your flesh gets in the way, but you've got to just lay your flesh down. Say, not my will, God, but your will be done. For this end was I born. I came into this world that I would bear witness unto the truth. I got ahead of myself. But now is my kingdom not from here. Pilate therefore said unto him, are you a king then? Verse 37, Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. You say, for this cause I came into the world that I would bear witness to the truth. So Jesus didn't tell Pilate I'm a king. He knows that he's the king of the Jews. They crucified him, right? They, they put a sign up, three languages. They crucified him at the main crossroad in Israel from the north to the south, from the east to the west, where everybody saw him and said, this is the king of the Jews. They were mocking him, but he was. But Jesus didn't say it. He said, no. I just came to bear witness to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said, what is the truth? When he had said this, he went out to the Jews and said, I find no fault in him at all. I want to go to Matthew chapter 27. And I want to read verse 18 to verse 26. And this is Pilate dealing with the same situation. Verse 18, speaking about Pilate, says, He knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they would ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Which of the two do you that want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said unto him, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather atonement was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. In other words, this is not my doing. Then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us. And our children, how prophetic. How prophetic, his blood. His blood. Do you know the blood of Jesus Christ from the throne room of God? Mercy. Forgiven. Healed. Blessed. Redeemed. Then he released Barabbas to them. 
And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then we go back to John chapter 18. Pilate says, but you have a custom I would release unto you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried all again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. You see, this is a perfect picture of redemption. Peter says that he was the just dying for the unjust that he might bring us to God in 1 Peter 3 verse 18. Being put to death in the flesh, but just quickened, made alive by the Spirit. And so Jesus was the just. He did no sin, yet he became sin for us. Praise God. Jesus then, when he went to the cross, he not only took our sin, but just like we read in Isaiah, he took our anxiety. He took our sickness. Like we read in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, he took our poverty. And Jesus took that. Amen. So we could receive in the place of sin, righteousness. In the place of anxiety, peace. He is the prince of peace. I mean, he demonstrates this peace. He is completely peaceful in this situation. Amen. You know, when, when, you've, when you've made peace with God, when you've got things settled in your heart, Jesus made peace with God. Jesus had this settled in his heart before he ever came to this point. And so he deals with this thing in total grace, in total peace. Not only to become, take for, for our anxiety, he gave us peace. But for our sickness, Jesus took stripes and gave us healing, gave us health. Amen? Thank God Calvary is called the great exchange. Amen? And Jesus, even though he was denied, dealing with denial, dealing with betrayal, and dealing with a false accusation and trial. Yet Jesus went there for you and went there for me. Amen? And he made life available to everyone. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.